Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. And a fine Saturday matinee to you all. Uh, it's me. It's Pete. And uh, I'm here alone by myself. 
Why am I alone, you're asking? Uh, I'm sure you all have some fantastic reasons that you think I might be alone. But really, the truth is, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and everybody's taking a little break. We're taking some time to hang with the families uh, here in the U.S., for our U.S. listeners, for anyone abroad. We're deeply thankful for you. Uh, this is, uh, has been an awesome opportunity for us to think about um, just how terrific it is to uh, be able to do this show, to be enabled to do this show with listener support. So thank you very much uh, for all that you do to help us continue to make this show and, and um, uh, all the other shows in the Next Real Family. Um, so in the spirit of the Saturday matinee, uh, you know, we are technically now going to be behind a list. We, we talked about um, uh, Once Upon a Time in America last week. We have a whole list the guys talk, came up with last week. We were supposed to do that this week. So that means next week we're going to have the list on Once Upon a Time in America. And that's right. It's a Sat Matt Twofer, a second list. So we need your help. A second vote is due. That is, of course, we're, we're kicking off our movies and our remakes a movies and their remakes series for 2018. Uh, we're starting with 1968's The Thomas Crown Affair, starring Stephen King. And <laughs> I can't talk this fine Saturday matinee morning, starring Stephen Queen and Faye Dunaway. Uh, and uh, it's got some uh, it's pretty iconic sequences in there. The first is, uh, well, this is what we were thinking. Sexy, sexy board games. That's right. Sexy board games. There's an enormously erotic game of chess uh, in this game, in this movie that we're going to be talking about on the show this week. And so we're looking for movies with sexy board game experiences in them. Uh, good luck with that. The second coming straight out of sexy, sexy board games this Thanksgiving holiday, long kisses in film movies with great kissing scenes. What are we doing I don't know how we came up with this list. We were in a mood. Uh, there is a very long kiss in this. Is by far not the longest, but it is uh, long for movies. So movies with long kisses in them. And finally, movies that include multi-screen play. And that also sounds really sexy, but I, I mean it not in the sexy way. Uh, movies that include multi-screen play, uh, we're talking about any film that actually moves the plot or the narrative forward by showing multiple screens, multiple perspectives on screen at the same time. Uh, so uh, different angles, different locations, um, whatever. This movie, Thomas Crown Affair, uh, actually does the yeoman's work uh, of moving the heist forward in particular through multiple screens. We talk all about that on the show this week. So uh, hopefully uh, look forward to learning a little something about that. I know we both learned, Andy and I both learned a lot. Uh, so uh, on behalf of Steve and Andy and myself, thank you again so much for your participation, your patronage. We, we deeply appreciate uh, everything you do uh, to, to help us out here. And uh, now our feature presentation for the Saturday matinee. It's a very special episode. Uh, Andy and Steve both went all in on the movies Suspiria, both the original and the remake, and they went to the live concert of the music of the original, and they ha have a conversation. There is a conversation to be had about Suspiria. If you haven't seen Suspiria, don't worry about it. You should continue listening anyway, uh, because uh, if you haven't seen it, I don't think this conversation is going to make you want to see it. I don't know. It's probably I haven't even listened to what they say. There are probably spoilers in it if you really care about that stuff, because uh, that's kind of what we do. Beware. Uh, but uh, if you're interested in what these guys think about uh, as connoisseurs themselves, 
this is your shot. So uh, on that note, uh, here you go. Here's Andy and Steve talking about the film's Suspiria. Well, hey, Steve. Hey, Andy. This is a a special uh, episode that uh, we thought we would do to talk about Suspirias. Yeah, you know, can I say can I say it that way? Suspirias. Suspirias? Sure. And you know, I love that we get to do these special things like this. And uh, I'm I'm gonna throw down the gauntlet and challenge the rest of the team. Nobody ever does fun things like this. They never like you know we're we're, Tommy. Tommy. Tommy and and uh, and uh, JJ did. uh, Did they um, do something? uh, They did the special episode about. uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was movies like uh, oh, they're mind bender um, things. Mind yes, that's true. Yeah. They did. Yeah, we need to do some more fun things yeah. like this. Of course, you have no time because you've got five million shows you're recording right now. Yes, so. exactly. But this was uh, right. well, I know this sort of had its roots like, well, gosh, probably like what a year or more ago when Suspiria twenty we... the remake was announced. I know you were really interested in doing throwing that in as a series of to do like the original and its remake. Right. Uh, well, cause we had initially been talking about doing, um, for October, 2018, before we kind of, um, uh, redesigned the entire second half of the year to be kind of a, a celebration of 50th anniversaries, um, around 1968, we had kind of talked about doing a movies in their remakes, horror movies in their oh, remakes, okay. uh, specifically for October. And we were going to do the original Suspiria and this remake, but, um, or that might've even been last year. Yeah. Like, I can't remember when this movie was initially supposed to come out. It's entirely possible. It was a year ago. Regardless, um, it didn't happen, but I was still curious about it because I had never seen the original. And then, um, we found out that the original was going to be playing in, um, uh, the Alamo draft yes. house, yeah. um, kind of on the opposite end of town and decided we'd go check it out. And yeah, that was the uh, 4k and... restoration. So it was a beautiful, gorgeous right. image. It, what made me interested about seeing that film, uh, at, at the fork in the 4k was I just heard so many things about just the strong visuals in you know, the 1977 Suspiria of that is just this iconic film with just bright, vivid colors. And it's not a horror is not a genre I'm familiar with, but I thought if there's a film that's known for its visuals, seeing it on the big screen in a 4k restoration is the way to do it. So had no idea what yeah. I was in for with that film. This is, of course, Dario Argento's yes. 1977 um, kind of Italian horror uh, film, kind of a supernatural thing. And it's it's Italian, but it's, you know, it's in English. It's one of those sorts of Italian <laughs> movies where um, they they uh, don't record sound and then they they fill in whatever audio they want to later. And and this is um, it's a really interesting film about this uh, ballet student played by Jessica Harper who comes to this dance academy in Germany. And but then there are these murders and uh, just things are getting crazy with uh, her life and there. Like she's just sensing all this weirdness going on. And sure enough, that's because this dance academy is run by a bunch of witches. Yeah. <laughs> With a really creepy, horrifying looking uh, uh, main witch, I guess we'll call yeah. her, that we uh, get to see at the end. But yeah, so we saw this film in all of its fantastically beautiful color. Um, and then uh, we found out that Goblin was going to be coming through town and and playing the score 
with the film. And so we just saw that uh, a few weeks back. Yes. Um, yeah. And I had seen uh, Luca Guadagnino's uh, 2018 the most recent remake that uh, that uh, he just did right before that one and then you saw it right, right after. after we yes. went to the concert yes so we thought hey let's talk about all of this suspiria stuff and and uh yeah just kind of uh chat a little bit so so what what, what where should we start with this <laughs> well i guess let's uh well i guess we can talk about the two the comparison between the two and then we can talk about the scene the 1977 with the score performed live or do you want to flip that around and yep. do that the other way uh i mean i i think let's just compare the two for, films yeah, for, for, for okay. start yeah. yeah i think there's yeah. i think there's a little bit more to discuss there see i uh the reason i chose to view them in the sequence that i did was you know to see the the live and then i wanted to see them sort of in order in in my opinion of what 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 everybody that was involved in 2018 if they sat down to watch the 1977 one and said okay we're remaking this or we're doing a film that's inspired by this because it there's such a difference in when you have a a film that you're starting to adapt or remake that is you know 90 minutes in length and then you end up with a movie that is what two and a half hours um yeah there's a lot a lot more material there so i was interested in revisiting sort of the core suspiria and then seeing okay what did they expand how did they take that story and what did they do with a whole other hour of of story so that's sort of the reason i i chose to to go that route is to start with the basic foundation and then see the expanded inspired version well so yeah. then let's just talk about the yeah. original film um first uh i mean what what's your what are your what's your sense of that one did do you feel like it it holds up i mean we've seen it twice now yeah together um just the way that it kind of plays out does it uh does it work is there and i guess a big question is is there more to it than just kind of the um the the mood because that i mean that's really what people talk about is right. just kind of the colors and the tone and everything but is there really more to this um or is it just kind of a, a moody uh, kind of a wacky horror movie yeah, it's a moody, wacky horror movie. I the first time going in, I just let myself sort of have this movie just wash over me because I had no idea what I was expecting. The second time around, yeah, the movie felt a lot shorter because there's not as much substance to the story. It's a series of sequences that I think are just built around some specific visuals. There's not a lot of plot to to pull things through uh why are things happening we just know there's there's unusual things happening and i it's almost like we need to set this up so we need this to happen so we can get to this cool thing that we want to do i have there's a concept of something interesting so for example one that always troubled me i couldn't figure out why it was happening there's the scene where uh the setup is, oh, the food up in the attic or whatever has gotten, you know, gone bad and maggots are raining down into the girls' rooms. <laughs> so then we have to then move everybody into what the, the big room where the, everybody's going to sleep as they're, you know, cleaning out the attic and, and all of that. And it's great because then you've got, uh, they put up big like curtain walls and you can do some cool things with light and, and that had a certain visual appeal to it, but the only way to do that was we had to have a reason. And so I don't know wh wh why the maggots, you know, I mean, again, that's something that's disturbing and, and weird, but I thought, 
there's no logic sort of the setup for me. And that's what I struggled with is there's not a lot of logic to things, uh, not a lot of explanation to things. It's just things that happen so we can have cool visual things going on. Yeah. And that's kind of my sense of the original film. It's a really interesting film to watch. There's just a lot of creepy visuals. But if you look at it just like for the foundation of the story, I end up feeling like there's not a lot there. It's it's just a lot of it just feels like it's creepy for creepiness yes, sake. I, I agree. And it does it well. I There, there are sequences. Oh, that no, I, absolutely. Yeah. I still think work really, really well, um, which to me made it sort of ripe for a remake of is there a way to keep some of the, the great visual style of this film and and flesh it out into a, a more developed story? Because I think there's interesting potential in that original one. Um, and there, there's iconic sequences that I, that I just love. Uh, it was great seeing them again, but it, on a second viewing, it left me wanting more. And I was really eager to see what the, the new and expanded Suspiria was, was going to do. And of course I was ill prepared for the insanity that was going to be unleashed on me last Saturday oh, yes. morning when I sat down to, to watch it watch it well before we yeah. jump into that one though i do just want to emphasize again just the 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 way that the look of uh, argento's film was uh, put together i mean it just everything is just incredible colors i mean and and that was something that he and his cinematographer uh i think it was luciano tavoli really worked to kind of create this this color just full of or this film full of amazing colors all through i mean he shot it um using this process uh, it's called the imbibition uh technicolor prints um trying to pull colors i mean his big reference was actually disney's snow white of all things he just loved the way the colors popped in them and they use this imbibition process back in the wizard of oz and gone with the wind it's this it's this um way to make your colors really vivid through the emulsion-based uh, print and uh, shooting it on Technicolor. It was actually one of the last films processed in Technicolor, and one of the it was shot on one of the last Technicolor three strip cameras that was in Europe. So I mean, he was very, very particular about getting the film to look the way that it did, which I think is an important thing to think about when when looking at this film because that aspect of the film is so important. And as we move our conversation into Luca's um, homage to it, um, I think that some of that conversation is is worth also uh, kind of a comparison to see um, how that film ended up. Um, did it do the same sort of things with mm-hmm. its look or 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 what? So. Well, I think you know, the Argento's Suspiria, I think, had a certain cult status because it was you know, on film. And then as you get to the, get to transferring, you know, in the eighties to, you know, VHS and then into DVD, red is such a challenging color digitally to do that. It just can just tweak out things and it just doesn't come across right. And to see, you know, the technical, I mean, rich, vivid colors. I can see people that saw this in theaters, you know, had the opportunity to see that. Yeah. That's going to leave a mark on you. And then, to you know see a bad transfer or something like that you're going to say oh it's it's not the same and i can see this film having that sort of cult status because of that just powerful experience of you know vivid colors and just really dynamic visual uh moments particularly one uh that struck me on first viewing uh is 
we get Jessica Harper goes to the school and as she's there, she sees somebody that's that's leaving the academy and you know runs off through the woods. And it's this weird sort of side story where we follow this this dancer to a friend's apartment and just the 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 lobby of that apartment with the t- the patterns on the tiles and everything in that apartment complex just the really vivid strange you know colorful patterns all over the place and i thought i can see why this film you know stands out among fans because it's not to me i i guess i have not been to many hotels over there in in germany and eastern europe to know if this is what they really look like or if he just said i'm going to create something that has a lot of color and really unique patterns to them because i want to express a certain look but it stood out to me as sort of bold choices in how you're going to design your sets or or decorate the area yeah the production yeah. design very much ties into the the cinematography and just kind of the overall look of the film just the way everything works and even the dancing i mean the idea of dancers and the movement mm-hmm. and costumes and all of that it all fits really nicely in with what uh, argento yeah. was doing with the film and it's interesting that it ends up kind of tying into this this world of these witches and everything but and I guess we can move into the 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 remake, or I, I as as uh, uh, Guadagnino says, it's it's really more of an homage to the original, not not so much a remake. Um, but that being said, I mean it still is about a, a an American ballet student coming coming over to Germany to dance um, in and in this dancing school, and it does also happen to be run by witches. So it very much is the same story, but. There's a lot more story going on in this uh, version of it. Um, and it's pretty interesting. It, it's actually interesting that they chose to set it in 1977 Germany, which is when the original film was made. Um, and uh, that's something that struck me right away is that uh, they were really playing with that whole idea of of kind of the the split in in Berlin and this idea of having um, a story taking place in this period when Germany was was going through quite a uh, quite this uh, you know this this uh, split and just the way that people were um, dealing with that. Yeah, yeah. To me, it, it I struggled with what why is this? Why are we spending so much time on? sort of establishing this era with what's going on that we're we're sort of in a divided Germany and then we have this whole thing going on with the hostage situation and all that. I thought is there a thematic connection to this? Is it just really trying to a strong sense of setting and time and place? But as I got through the as we as we weave our way sort of through the story, I see that we're sort of facing a similar possible split because there is a scene where uh, the teachers uh, they they take a vote as to who they who they're willing to to follow, and there's it's clear that there's you know two factions of of loyalty. Some that are going to be backing Madame Blanc, which is uh, Tilda Swinton's character, and those that are going to maintain you know loyalty to the the founder of of the school. So we've got sort of a a, a division that is apparent there in the two. And I thought, okay, we're, we're sort of tying that into a, a divided Germany. Uh, so I could see where we may try to thematically connect these two. Cause for me, the 
film does spend a lot of time on establishing that. And we get lots of scenes with characters seeing, you know, or hearing news on the radio or on the TV with this whole hostage situation going on with the uh, Red Army faction and even one of the the dancers in her journal. That clearly, you know, some questions is if she's sort of a radical you know, political uh, person that left the studio because of this. Uh, to me, it it didn't pull together as nicely as I thought. Um, but again, I think there's a lot going on, and I am probably going to challenge myself to watch this a second time to look at these choices to include all of this material and whether it really truly connects and supports to some themes going on in the story of uh, Susie at the dance school. There is a really surprising amount of stuff that they've added here. Uh, they have got, um, uh, I mean, we go back even to uh, to Susie's uh, life in um, her Mennonite home yeah. back in Ohio. We get some scenes there, um, and which plays really interestingly as an opposition to kind of what she's experiencing over in Germany. Um, you do have all that interesting um, stuff going on between the the two factions within the uh, the academy, um, as you were discussing, and then you have that really interesting character, Doctor Klemperer, mm-hmm. um, who um, is you know he's uh, he had lost his wife during the World War II, and uh, he's this uh, uh, psychologist who's uh, been talking to um, uh, Chloe Grace Moritz's character, and um, is kind of doing a little bit of investigation into this place and everything. And it's just, it's really interesting the way all of this is set up. And there is so much more going on with this particular story that I, I did find really fascinating. Um, but yeah, like you, I, I thought they did an incredible job with it, but I also was just like, I, I don't know um, if, uh, if it ended up being as amazing as I kind of was wanting it to be. But I would say that um, there is that element of, uh, I think that Luca was doing more with the film than Argento did. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Both, in, both in, in context of the themes, the, the femininity, the, the, you know, just all the stuff going on in, with kind of this post-war Germany. Um, and uh, uh, there's a lot of duality going on throughout between the good and the bad and the witches and the normal people and everything. But then I think what I found really <laughs> pretty amazing is the way that uh, Guadagnino really amped up kind of that cultish witch element of it. Because by the time we get to that final bit with the, uh, the kind of the just the crazy uh, cult scene it just was like i felt like i was like i had committed myself to being in some crazy cult and, and like partaking of this thing that was insane with the dancing and the nakedness and the slicing open of of bodies and intestines spilling out and just i mean the bloodiness of everything like when they're cutting throats and everything just the way that all of it is handled the the way that horror is kicked up a notch throughout this um, was so horrifying, uh, but also done in like such insanely beautiful ways. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I was yeah. Like I was mesmerized by it. Well, yeah. Early on, you get that scene where uh, Susie's gonna dance the solo or whatever, and so she's doing that in the dance studio. And then beneath that, we have Olga, who has you know 
had some, you know, for whatever reason, she's she's deciding to leave, and she ends up uh, in the other sort of dance room beneath that, and the dance that Susie's doing is like physically twisting and throwing all right, his body right. around the room and so we've got the beauty of the dance on top and then beneath the surface just oh my gosh the most <laughs> brutally graphic like pretzeling of a human body that i have ever seen and that just really sort of set the tone for me of the as you said the duality of this film that just some amazingly beautiful dance sequences but just some otherwise just brute brute I guess brutal is the only way I can think of it, of the physicality of everything, whether it's, you know, we've got broken legs, uh, we've got, yeah, throats being sliced open. And uh, yeah, well, just that whole cult scene, just for me, <laughs> some, as, as, as Madame Blanc says, wait, something doesn't feel right. I, I think we need to stop this. And then it just goes off the rails insane uh, with that. And then, of course, for me, what really was an interesting piece um, was to look at the Joseph Klemperer character of, to me, I realized, okay, this is sort of the audience surrogate um, because in the, in the after all of that insanity, there's a final scene where Susie, you know, meets with Dr. Klemperer is going to take all of this away from him because um, he should not have been subjected to all the things that, yeah. that he has. But to see sort of the reveal of who Susie really is, I thought was a bold choice in this movie because in the 77 version, it's okay. Susie's there, there's witches and she, you know, kills the head of the coven, uh, Marcos, and then, you know, flees and the building burns down. So it's like, yay, you know, innocence, you know, defeats evil and she leaves. And here it's the exact opposite of that as Susie is revealed to be not who we think she is. Um, and she, it's sort of her rise to power, uh, which for me was completely unexpected. Um, and I, I like that decision that she's not the victim of this, but she actually turns the tables on, on everyone there. Um, and has a, I, for lack of a better term, a little bit of mercy towards some of the students that were being. So we've got Patricia played by Chloe Grace Moretz and uh, Sarah played by Mia Goth, who were sort of like, I don't know, captured or brainwashed or something. And she releases them from that and sort of an act of mercy because she asked them what, what they want. They just want to die. Uh, Cause Patricia has oh, been yeah. just, you know, holed up there in the creepy, you know, cobwebby basement uh, because they're trying to, I guess, drain their life force to keep, you know, Marcos alive. And uh, she releases them for that. And it's really different type of ending. Uh, I, I want to say it's darker because I guess if we if we side with Klemper, we can take the road of like, well, we there's something sinister going on, but we can be oblivious to that. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what that's trying to say as well, but it, it gives me a lot more to think about uh in this one yeah and that's something that i liked about it is that like i feel like this one is one that i would return to i feel like i've seen argento's suspiria a couple times now um and going back to that one the goblin score and that one is fantastic and i'm glad that we got to see that one um but this one is the one that i feel like has a little more meat to it and is the one that i'd probably prefer to watch just because i feel like it's uh there's just a little more to chew on with it. Yes. And, uh, yeah. you know, when I'm watching 
I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I certainly like my fill of horror movies that are just, you know, there to just enjoy. Um, but in the case of this film, like, I, I, I feel like I, I have Suspiria down now, uh, Argento's. And so if I, if I am going to revisit it, it would be this one. Oh, I, I agree. I think the Argento Suspiria is something that I could imagine. If I was having a Halloween party, it's something I could have on in the background and you don't need to pay that much attention to it because it's really just all about the visuals and you could have that on the screen, just playing in the background as uh, to add color to your party uh, and would work really well. Whereas uh, Guadagnino's here is saying so much or attempting to, as I said, to, to unpack all this is going to take another viewing or two. Uh, so I think they, they have, they have their strengths and I think they, are trying to accomplish different things. And I think they both do a good job of what they're trying to accomplish. I. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like this one, I, I don't feel Guadagnino's was um, striving to achieve the fantastic look that uh, uh, Argento's has as far as like the boldness of everything. I mean, it still is a very bold film and has some, some fantastic imagery, but I, I, I didn't feel like it, like it doesn't feel as technicolor. And, you know, that's that was one of my takeaways is, I mean, there's definitely blood. There's definitely red. He's definitely playing with the colors. But I don't feel like that was one of the goals that uh, that he set out to do is just focus on that tone of it. I I feel like it's there, but it's not as much just the focus as Argento. Oh, says. no, it's it's very much a, a Cold War gray Germany uh, tone to a lot of the film. And then, you I mean, you do have colorful moments, particularly the dance sequence, the the red uh, dance outfits that they have. I mean, there are colors there, but it's it's not the vivid, you know, yeah, color. But he does balance that. But it to me, way that this was shot, uh, the color mix on this uh, does have this very. It feels, it makes me feel like yes, cold gray winters of the seventies, and I think it it captures that really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much. Uh, but I agree that. Um, the score for this one uh, was Tom York from Radiohead, and it works really well. It just – see, Goblin score it, for me stuck with me after that. Yeah. This it one – worked. Yeah. York's works in it, context of the film, but right. it's not something that I walked out with at all. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it was – And that was, I think, why it was so fun to see Goblin performing it. Um, one, it's like, you know, a 41 year old movie and it, it just, you know, seeing these, these kind of older people just performing was really fun to, to, to watch, but, uh, it's, it's a great score and just the, the yeah, 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 yes. you know, just all that, that whispery oh, sound it's, and it's everything. It's still so creepy and it, it works yeah. so well. So yeah, it was, it was really a, a joy to see that it's, it's the first time I've seen something like this. So it was interesting to see. You know, there's the screen. They're sitting at their instruments, and then I could sort of see out of the the bottom eye. Oh, they're get, they're getting they're, they're picking up their yep. instruments. Okay, we're going to get into this this uh, sequence here, and then it's going to kick in. So yeah, it was it was nice to see what that looks like as far as musicians scoring something, because uh, it's not something I'm really conscious of as I'm watching a movie. So it it gave me sort of a I guess a little behind the scenes look of that scoring, you know, what that looks like for those musicians. And it was great uh, to just hear it really full sound uh, over there at the Marquee Theater. Yeah, it was great. And then they gave us a little treat after that, too. Yeah, we got to uh, hear um, a wide variety of tracks from from a bunch of their other movies that they had scored, which was 
which was really uh, great to see because uh, I realized uh, I had not seen any of those films <laughs> as I was watching. But uh, but they all looked really interesting, and and certainly they they fit that tone of um, the kind of the Italian uh, horror and all of the stuff that just kind of that whole vibe. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember what there was. There was uh, uh, Tenebra. We saw yes. um, Phenomena. There was. Uh, I think they played a track from uh, Dawn of the Dead, oh, which they, was they fun did, to they see. Did the whole, like, yeah, they did the, the whole trilogy, trilogy, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they did a whole bunch of right, that right. as well. There so. was like Demons, yeah. um, and a bunch of a bunch of interesting tracks, and uh, it was it was just fun to see them um, bringing all of that stuff to life. It was it was pretty great. Oh yeah, that was a great experience. It was a great way to see. You know the Argento Suspiria, and then a little treat of some some bonus tracks, and uh, yeah, Claudio Simonetti still has it up there dancing around his keyboards. And then he had that weird, <laughs> he had a he had this weird like curved keyboard. It was just interesting to see the instruments being played right, yeah. there as well. So that was the, the, the for the longest time I was convinced it was just like a a stool or a stand of some <laughs> sort, but it was. It was one of his crazy instruments. It was neat. It was a really uh, great experience, and definitely, I had never seen a uh, a, uh, uh, a composer or band perform a live score before to a film either. And so, um, it was great to see, and it's certainly is something I'd love to uh, check out more often. Oh yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes tuned to see what other. It seems like there's more more of that type of thing happening where you'll get maybe not to the whole movie, but I know there are times where it's like, oh, come see, you know, uh, I think usually around the holidays i think it's here in finks they might be doing like scenes from harry potter or music from harry potter with you know scenes from the movie but maybe someday yeah. we'll start to get more uh full-on scores of, more of this like sort. That. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly so that's a fun thing to do well mm. cool well that's our little uh suspiria conversation yeah. uh, it was great uh, kind of uh visiting this uh this world several times with you uh steve and yeah. just uh, getting a chance to chat about it a little bit was uh was great too Oh yeah, and like I said, I I think uh, unfortunately it was really hard for me to find a theater to see you know the most re- you know Guadagnino's Suspiria. Yeah, it's not out there that much. Uh, I know you're getting into you know holiday happy season, uh, so it's <laughs> not the ideal. I have film, a feeling, but I have a feeling most people are going to be waiting to yeah. catch this one digitally because it's just. I mean, it was one of those films that you know you kind of look at and go, I did it need a uh, remake yeah. you know uh, who's who's the audience for it and right. i think that it was very big and ambitious um and probably uh way beyond the mark as far as the budget for what their uh, returns are going to be yeah. on a project like this but you know you direct a film nominated for a uh, best picture yeah. uh, you know people are willing to throw money at you and oh, if yeah. you say oh i'm going to do a remake of of Suspiria, then yeah. you'll probably be more likely to find your money in that period of time than any other point. Oh, so, exactly. So kudos to Luca for uh, for pulling it together and, yeah. and making a film that I think ended up being something that I would say was worth making and worth watching. Oh, definitely. I agree. I'm not a, as you know, horror is not my genre of choice, but this is one that... Uh, it's not your bag, baby. No, it's not. But I had a really good time <laughs> with, with both versions. But this one, I, I'd say this really raised the bar and, you know, it added a lot of complexity, a lot of story and something that I definitely want to revisit because there's a lot of great stuff in there. So I'm encouraging people... It is worth checking out. Uh, even if you're not a horror person, uh, I think there's some just some really interesting story going on here. Uh, it may not be 
for me, it's not something that's going to give me nightmares. It's not one of those creepy ones. It's it's got some some <laughs> brutal uh, graphic violence to it. But uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Well, let's hope that uh, whoever is tuning into this episode actually has watched the films yeah. beforehand because. Spoilers. We just spoiled the heck out of them. So. <laughs> Come on. We spoil movies. Go. Everyone knows That's that. That's right. They should know that by now. All right. And it was great. Anyway, talking thank to you. you. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you on the main show. Bye. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.